Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. Uh, let's, uh, let's get ready. Now we've been as a church, we've been walking through the book of John. We've covered three chapters, and really the theme of the whole book, what we've learned is this, is that, that we, if we believe upon Jesus Christ, that, that we will have an abundant life uh, and we'll, uh, now, and we'll have an eternal life later. The whole message of John's uh, entire gospel is believe on Jesus, receive uh, abundant life now, and eternal life later. And the, what we've seen through the whole thing is that God has sent a son, God came in the flesh, God came as a man, God went to the cross, God resurrected himself, God makes us born again, we believe, we receive Jesus, um, and then we have salvation. It's all God, all grace. That's the gospel. It's all God, all grace. Uh, so what we do at our church all year long is we look at this idea of how do we as a people who have tasted and experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ, how do we steward our lives on what we've been given? How do we steward the salvation that we've been given? Well, we steward it by evangelizing. We share it with other people. How do we steward um, our marriages in light of the gospel? How do we steward our children in light of the gospel? How do we uh, how do we steward our time, uh, what we value? Just how do we take this grace that God has given us and make it visible into the world for all people to see? Today, we'll begin a two-week period where we do this once a year, uh, where we pause and we say, this is how we are to steward the finances to which God has given to us. We talk about Money. All right. So, first impressions team, if you'll go ahead and lock all the doors right now. Uh, just kidding. Uh, we know what this does uh, when we start talking about money in church. And, and let me just beat you to the punch, right? This is the time of year that every pastor just loves to preach about money and never fails. Someone's sitting in here right now and they're saying, here they go again. I just showed up. It's my first time today. I've just invited a friend and here they go talking about money. Uh, the pastor just wants in my wallet. Uh, I've said those things myself for a very long time. So I know you, what you might be thinking. Um, so let's just kind of get that out of the way. All right, let's do that. Uh, the idea here is that this is something that Jesus Christ talked about all the time. He talked about it more than heaven, hell, um, prayer, a lot of big biblical principles. So we must address these things um, if we are 
to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, why are we reluctant to give? Why does it always get us a little bit um, uncomfortable? Well, there's a widespread cynicism that exists in our culture towards giving. All right, nonprofit organizations have mismanaged funds. Uh, you see, uh, man, just multi-marketing schemes, creating money, credit card fraud. Uh, you have, man, the school systems now, man, they're just constantly asking for money and fundraisers, right? That's the truth of it. You can't go to a retail store or a drive through anywhere now without being asked, would you like to contribute and make a donation to whatever? So there's this skepticism that is in our culture towards giving, but unfortunately, it has bled into the church. How has that bled into the church? Uh, well, when we look at TV, we see these televangelists, and they're, they're driving luxe cars, million-dollar homes, and these three-piece suits. And, man, they've got all the riches, and they're preaching this prosperity stuff and say, if you'll just give us money, um, I will be able to live independently wealthy. So keep giving. So we get skeptic when we see all of these things, and that has bled into the church and infiltrated the Christian into a reluctance to giving. And this is a egregious error in the scriptures. We must be obedient to giving regardless of what's happening around us and what's happening with the money that is given in generosity through the local church. So you've probably heard um, some of the other reasons maybe why people don't give. All right, so here's a few other ones. Uh, Many reasons why many people in the church don't give is because they're actually not part of the church. Uh, they're not actually professed true believers in Jesus Christ. They might be physically sitting in a church across the country today, but they're not actually believers who've experienced the gospel. Therefore, they see no need in giving. It seems uh, offensive or ridiculous to give your money back to the church, right? We have to understand that it's a gospel-rooted generosity to begin with. Others struggle with a, a love of money more than a love of God, a trust in money more than a trust in God. Other people find more happiness in more money than find happiness in more of God. And those are the imbalances, those are the things that get stirred up in us which make us reluctant to give. They get us very defensive around money or very sensitive. All right, maybe you've heard the old uh, phrase before that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that get hit. All right, the one, that's the one that got hit. So as today, uh, as I throw this out there, keep in mind, man, if it causes you to be sensitive, uh, it might be something that's just hitting you where it hurts, and you need to deal with that. I'm not going to ask you today, um, as we talk about money, uh, to do anything that I personally do not do. Um, I, my wife, my family, we've tithed to the church. We're going to be talking about that today. I tithe to the church. I give first fruits. It comes out of my paycheck twice a week, or not twice a week. I don't get paid that much. Uh, every other week, uh, you're like, hey, man, how much are we paying this joker? Um, so I do that regularly. I don't have to, uh, man, do it impulsively like, oh, man, I'm reactive. I don't know if I need to. Yeah, I can do it. You know, it's all first fruits do that. So many like you today, you faithfully give just like that as well. Uh, so as we talk about these things, if you are one who stewards your finances well and you are among the 2% of professed evangelicals who do in fact tithe, 
Thank you for your service. Thank you for your obedience to the tithe. You provide me an opportunity to preach the gospel for a living, uh, to go out and preach the gospel in all the surrounding areas, to travel to preach the gospel, to support the other ministry staff on our campus, uh, to feed the needy, help the homeless, the poor in Smyrna, Tennessee, Laverne, Murfreesboro, surrounding areas. You help fund the lights that are illuminating the room right now, the seats that we're comfortably sitting in, the music that will be played today, the amplification of the voice through a microphone, uh, all of the environments, how kids are poured into through curriculum and all these things. You help fund gospel ministry. Thank you for what you're doing. But for those that, uh, that may not be to fall into the 96 to 98% of evangelical, professed evangelicals who do not tithe. This is where we're going today. I can pretty this up all day long, cuting it up. By the end of the day, you need to begin to tithe today. That is the action point. That's the move piece. I, I don't want to get around that anyway. And if, once again, if you're already doing that, this does nothing. Like, this doesn't make you uncomfortable at all. If you're a tither at our church, you are going to be reminded. This doesn't cause you any uncomfortability whatsoever. You're going to rejoice and remember from what you do. It's the same principle of if we were to preach about a biblical view of sex. Those that are walking in purity and those that are walking in marriages... Uh, monogamous marriages who have very healthy sex lives are going to be amening me and cheering me on, right? But for those who are walking in sexual immorality, unhealthy sex lives, they do not want to talk about those things in church. So that's the reality of what we're dealing with today. That's where we're going. I just want to, we're going we're gonna to go there and I'm going to try to do this with a lot of compassion with the truth of the scriptures. All right. What I speak to you today is out of love. It is for your good and for God's glory. All right. So as we press in, man, God's word is just going to do the, do the illumination and the piercing. And I'm praying that he's going to do big things in your heart individually, not only for obedience, but for the blessing and the freedom from guilt and shame that you might already be feeling right now of being someone who does not tithe. All right. So let's pray and let's ask the spirit to move here today. God, we uh, just get up here today and we preach about something, um, Father, that you created for your glory and for our good. And this message is probably nothing new than anybody in this room has ever heard before. We've heard it. God, make today different. Only you can do that. This sermon will do nothing. If the conviction ends at the end of the sermon and people walk out, stirred up and convicted, but it doesn't lead to repentance. Epic fail. We need you. We depend upon you today to move us in a new way. Conviction is a gift from you. Stir us up to the faithful givers. May they rejoice and be reminded of why they give. Father, all of this is for our own good and for your glory. Help us to see that today. Help me to use my words in a loving, compassionate, and also a truthful way as well. We love you. Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so as we, we, we won't be going through a specific passage today, so we'll be kind of around different places um, today. There, there are 
people would say the two things you don't really talk about is you don't talk about people's money and you don't talk about people's kids. Those are the handoff. Just don't talk about those things. Uh, that's probably wise somewhere, but I'm not really a smart guy. Uh, so I'm going to talk about them because Jesus, as I said, often talks about that. This has become one of the most, the biggest American gods in our culture today is the God of money. And for me to not speak on it uh, would be a very unloving thing. To not warn you of the false pleasures that money can provide uh, would be a very unloving thing uh, to you as a pastor. So let's, uh, how do we know that, man, we've gotten even crooked on this. Even our society today, non-Christian people, acknowledge that we can actually find a greater value in the dollar than in God. How do we know that? Well, we put it on the dollar bill. What does the dollar bill say? In God we trust. Why does it say that? Because even culture knew that we would have the potential to put our trust in money instead of in God. We needed reminded of that. We don't have a we don't value money above God. So we have those reminders. We need those reminders. This idea of trusting in something else other than God, finding happiness in something else other than God, finding value in something else other than God, is biblically called idolatry. And we're going to look at the root issue of this idea that money is not God. It makes a horrible God. Now, it can serve God, but it makes a horrible, horrible God. Most of the time when we speak of idolatry in the Scriptures... Our minds go to erected statues or golden calves and uh, statues of Nebuchadnezzar we see uh, in Babylon. And we just tangibly put our eyes on idolatry. So we quickly say, we don't do those things, right? But idolatry comes in the form of intangible things, desires in the heart. And one of those things is called covetousness. And let's look at Paul said in Colossians 3. He says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So here he identifies idolatry. He's not a statue worship. Uh, he's, not even, he's not even talking about people. So if you think for a second, well, I don't worship money. I don't love money. See, Paul's not talking about people that like just get make it rain dollar bills and sit around and sniff their green all the time, right? He's not bowing down physically to money and just all you think about is money. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that is an intangible desire in your heart and you find greater pleasure in more money than more God. That's how we identify if we have a worship issue. If... You were to get $10 million today offered to you, and all you had to do was just give up Jesus. Would you do it? If you lost everything in your life, possessions, cash, you file bankruptcy tomorrow morning, stripped away of everything like Job, would God be enough for you, or would you be lacking because you don't have money? These are things that begin to 
come up in our mind that show and expose if the tentacles of the love of money have wrapped themselves around our heart? These are some tough questions we're going to need to ask ourselves today. The greatest idol their culture worships is, in fact, money. All right, so let's look at Matthew 6, 24, and see what the Lord says about this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here he says, you only have two masters in this world. Either God is your master, therefore you would use money to serve the master, or your master is money, and you do not serve God at all. There's no tweener. There's, there's absolutely no in-between in this deal. You have two masters in the world, God or money. And if God is your master, and I know every professed Christian in the room would say, yes, God is my master, do you use money to serve God? Let's go deeper. How do you know if your money serves God? You tithe. That's how you prove what you believe. If you don't give, if you don't tithe, you're really revealing who your master is. Paul ended that by saying, for those, the wrath of God's coming. He didn't mince words on that deal. It's pretty harsh. It's why we preach so hard each week about the wrath of God falling on people who love money more than God himself. These are some very piercing ways. How do we know? How do we know if God is our ultimate treasure? If we're talking about intangible things, desires in the heart, covetousness, how do we know if we serve God or if we serve greed? How do we know our happiness, our hope is found in money? Or our hope and our happiness is found in God. How do we know those things? God has given a way and His grace and His mercy has provided a way for us to know the answer to that question. He has provided a way for us to know that if the sin of covetousness and idolatry exists in our hearts and simultaneously has funded the mission of God on earth... It's brilliant. It's called the tithe. It's a biblical word. Not a man's word. It's a biblical word. Every Christian has to do something with this word. No professed believer can say, I don't believe in the tithe. It's in the Bible. You have to believe something about the tithe. You can't unbelieve or not believe the tithe. It's in the Scriptures. What does the word mean? The word means tenth. We are, as Christians, called to give one-tenth of our annual gross income back to the Lord because everything came from the Lord to begin to. One-tenth. God gave you, believer, if God gave you $10, the invisible hand of God gives you $10, and you take that $10. And if God said, listen, I just need a dollar back, just give me a dollar back, all the nine, you keep them. They're yours. I just want a dollar. I think most of us would say, yeah, a dollar? Yeah, I mean, I get nine. I, I, I'm good with that. But yet, but yet, 
when the professing Christian refuses to tithe, that's an exact contradiction to what you just said. You want all ten. God, I don't want to give you nothing. It's all mine. And it's a skewed view. Let's keep going. Because here's I want to break this down. Because the deal is this. Christianity Today, there's a recent interview I read. It was talking about uh, professed evangelicals 45 and under and what their view was towards the tithe. And they said things, uh, this was some, some alarming things that they said. It said that 45, people 45 years and old and younger have grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's a tremendous pressure on families to spend, get, spend, get, consume for themselves. And that, that's true, isn't it, right? I mean, that starts as a child. The generation of coming up underneath us, we all exist for ourselves, consume, consume, consume. And he goes on to say this, that the generation that believed in the tradition of tithing is one of three places. They're either in retirement homes, nursing homes, or cemeteries. And this is very, very disturbing because the scriptures don't change, right? They're timeless. They've been the same for all. So really the question we've got to ask ourselves, how in the world do people who give their life to Jesus not give their finances to Jesus. How is that possible? I I don't understand it. I really don't. How in the world you have my life, Jesus, but you can't have my money? It's impossibility. It's a contradiction. It's covetousness. It's an issue that we must call ourselves to deal with. How much easier is it to give our money than our life, right? It should be a lot easier to give money than our whole lives. Let's work through, because I'm going to give you some examples of why I believe that God, His uh, desire for us is to fall in this. Number one, the first slide is this. God's commanded the tithe. Not, no deep thinking here. We should be able to honestly stop right here and say, Amen. And everybody just leaves, and we should be done. It's what should be that way. God's commanded. If He's our authority, it should be done right there. We'll keep going. Let me show you the very first tithe in the scriptures. Uh, it's in um, Genesis 14. Let's look at that. And Melchizedek, who is not a defense, defenseman with the predators, by the way, this is a different guy. Um, King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God, most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, I don't have time to unpack Melchizedek, but the two views there is that that was actually Jesus or is a type of Jesus. But there's a, the idea here is that the, the tithe is existing in Genesis. This is pre-law. This is before Moses received the Ten Commandments at Sinai. So this is a command and a principle that was instituted before the law. And anything that was commanded or any principle given on by God before the law still stands today. The law has nothing to do with it, New, New Testament, Old Testament. This is just a general principle, like the principle he gave Adam in the garden. Adam, you're going to work. You're going to work for the rest of your life. It's what you're going to do. Well, the New Testament surely didn't take that away, did it? 
right? We're all working pretty dang hard. We have to continue to work. Another command that he gave unto Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we don't have a problem with that command, do we? <laughs> or at least attempting to do that, right? Anybody get a problem with that one? These things still stand today. So therefore, the argument of the law, that was the old law, is out the window. We'll get into that in just a minute. This is a principle that continues to stand today. Let's look at another one. This is another principle. Now that tithing in the Old Testament was a way uh, for the Israelites returning to God their prosperity. What God had given to them, for the example, it would be a, um, an agrarian society. So let's take lambs, for example. They got ten lambs, okay? Uh, and they were required to give one-tenth or one lamb back unto God, a perfect, spotless, the best lamb of the whole ten. Not, let me pick through the ten and see which one I don't like and give that one back. No, they gave it off the top, and it was called first fruits. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So the idea here is I, we, we translate over the principle of the tithe. It's first fruits. It's the first thing that comes out. It's the first thing that we return unto God that when we get paid. First fruits, not leftovers. Not after Netflix gets paid. Not after the triple play by Comcast. Not after my car payment that I probably don't need to have. Not after the house payment. Not after my, my shopping's done and my food is... Not even food. Not even food comes before the tithe. It's the first thing we give unto the Lord. And so many times one of the pushbacks against the tithe is I can't afford to tithe. Malachi says you can't afford to not tithe. We'll get to that in just a moment. You can't afford not to. We don't offer up leftovers to a holy God and think that that even remotely pleases Him. Like, if we come in here with this mindset, and I'm trying to say this in the most loving way, if we come with this mindset, we paid all of our bills off, and we come at the end of the month, and we throw something in the basket at the end of the service. It's not the tithe. It's just something left over. That doesn't move God at all. At all. It doesn't please Him at all. It's dishonoring. It says, you've just revealed your heart. You've just revealed all of these things are more valuable than I am. I don't want your offering. That's what He says. These are harsh things, but this is the command of the tithe and the first fruits. Now, here's what else the tithing did in the, in the Old Testament. It funded the ministry of the Israelites. So it wasn't just do it. It funded ministry. Look at Numbers 18.21. To the Levites, I, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service. That they do their service in the tent of meeting. So that's the secondary plan of why we give to tithe. Clearly God's commanded it, but it funds the fuels, the ministry of God in the world. Clearly we know in the New Testament, we'll see that principle in just a minute, in Philippians, I'll get there. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, God called out the Israelites. They had once again turned away from the Lord. 
God says, I'm done. I'm turning my back from you. I'm turning away from you. And the Israelites are like, what have, what have I done? What have we done, God? Why, why would you turn away from us? What have we done that you would turn your back? And here's what he says in Malachi. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed of you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He called them thieves. You're robbing me. You're not tithing. You're a bunch of robbers. Now, when we look at that, we think robbing God, it's a little harsh. It almost seems impossible. Like, how can a, uh, a human like uh, break into the inner sanctum of the treasury of God and, and rummage through and steal all of God's possessions? Like, how could we possibly do that? And our minds would go, that's absurd. How could we rob God? He's God and we're not. But yet he answers the question. That's what the Israelites were like. What are you talking about, robbing God? He says, that's what you've done to me. Your act of defiance. You've turned away. And by you withholding the tithe, you have robbed me. You're a bunch of robbers, is what he said. You're cursed with a curse. He didn't say get your stuff together. He said you're cursed by it. If statistics are, are true... And 96 to 98 people, or 98 percent of people who claim to be Christians are not tithing. That means 96 to 98 percent are habitually, deliberately robbing God. That's pretty alarming. Thieves? Anybody want to be accused of being a thief and a robber of God? It's a biblical command. He says this when he returns to, clearly it's not what he wanted to give them. He says this in verse 10. Let's look at the rest. He commands them what to do. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And if we've been guilty of stealing and robbing from God, that's one aspect. But listen, if we're not tithing, what we're also doing is we're also robbing ourselves of the blessing of God. That's what he just said. He says, put me to the test. Test me out on this. And you tithe and you watch and see what I will do. I will make it rain blessings down upon you. Now, Malachi is not preaching prosperity gospel here. Let's make sure we're clear on this. It's not you tithe, you give money, and then you get the promotion, the Yukon, the home, the beachfront property. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you'll get the blessing of provision. All your bills, right? Your home, shelter, food, water, the needs. He said, I'm going to take care of all of them. You'll never have to be anxious about those things ever again. I will make it rain blessings on you. You just have to trust me with a tithe. Question, pause. Have you put God to the test? Have you tested him out for his promises to be true? If you've not, then up to this day, 
you have trusted in money, and you have not trusted in God. There's the only two choices here. I pray that you begin to trust in the Lord. You do something crazy radical by, by most people's definition, but for the Christian, this is just a command. Step into obedience and begin to tithe today and watch what God will do in your life. I've never met anyone come back to me or contact me in the office and say, man, I really regret that tithing thing. Man, it's got me all jammed up now. I can't believe you told me to do that. Never. Those who are tithing today that used to fight it, they'll tell you the same thing. God will open up the gates of heaven and make it rain blessings on you and take away all of that. But you do have to trust in God. All right? So really, as I said, you have to do something with the word tithe. Everybody has to believe in the word tithe. The question now poses itself is this. Does Jesus command the tithe in the New Testament? That's the next argument we have to, because it's there. Does Jesus talk about the tithe in the New Testament? And the answer to that question is yes, he does. In Matthew 23, 23, he says this to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus says, you've tithed, Pharisees, and you should have done that. What he did not say is, you shouldn't have done that. It's not necessary anymore. It's the New Testament now. I'm Jesus, and you don't have to do the old law anymore. No, he said, you should have done that. But you neglected the weightier matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So what does he mean by that? Is he saying that tithing's not weighty? It's just kind of nominal, it's optional thing. I don't really have to do that. I just got to focus on these. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, is it's so easy the Pharisees do it. You get that. That's easy, Pharisees. That's the easy stuff. You clearly understand the scriptures, how he is to give your money. But you've neglected the weightier matters like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Isn't that harder for us to do? To extend mercy to people? To be faithful to God? That's, that's dang hard, y'all. That's hard. Every hour of the day, every minute of the day to be faithful to God, that's hard. That's a lot weightier than our money. Should be. Because even the Pharisees, the ungodly Pharisees, even grasp the concept of the tithe. The other thing this punches holes in, because many people will say, well, we're not under the law anymore, we're under the New Testament. And now it's grace giving. So we don't have to do the tithe anymore, it's grace giving. Maybe that's your argument. Let me see if I can punch a couple of holes in that. Listen, if you understand the New Testament and the gospel, uh, the gospel always calls for more, not less. More, not less. The principle is taught by Jesus when he talks about if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder now. If you have lust in your eyes, in your heart, you have committed adultery. That sounds like he's raising the bar to me. It doesn't doesn't sound like he's lowering the bar. He raises the bar. That's the general principle of the New Testament. It always raises the law. Always higher. So if your argument is... We're under grace giving now. I'm going to assume that you give more than the tithe. 
and then you're good. If that's you and you give more than tithe, that's awesome. That's awesome. The problem is this. Most people that I've encountered that champion grace giving always give less, not more. They use that as an attempt to rewrite the scriptures to appease themselves and their own wallets. I don't have to do that anymore. It's grace giving. I just give cheerfully and whatever I want to. And man, gospel doesn't provide those kind of freedoms. It always calls for more. The second thing is, let's look at this. Second slide here. When we tithe, we give a tenth of our income. When we do that, we believe, acknowledge, and give honor to the fact that, the God, that God owns everything, including our income. Remember last week in the book of John, when John the Baptist said to his disciples that no one can receive anything, not one thing, unless given to them by heaven. So all of your salary today... Although you think it comes from your employer, who come, where does your employer come from? You kind of trace that back. All of it comes from God. He is the provider of all things. Look at Deuteronomy. Behold to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, with all that is in it. God owns it all. It's all His. The believer understands that, doesn't cling to it, doesn't possess it and say, I earned it. Some people look at that and they say, well, if God owns it all, then uh, if it's all His, I give, all, I give my whole life to Him. I, I don't have to do that. Uh, I don't have to just give 10%. I give my whole life to Him. It's all. They use that argument to try to punch a hole in that to say they don't have to give 10% because God gets it all anyway, right? Think about the argument that um, if a wife who's complaining about her husband... And none of y'all would do that, right? Uh, if, if the wife said, husband, you don't give me any of your time. You never spend time with me. You don't, I don't get any of your time. And the husband responds and says, babe, you get all my time. I'm at work. I'm working for you all day long to earn money for you. I come home and I'm all about you. But he doesn't spend any specific time dating his spouse Spending intentional time, setting that time apart to show her that he truly does give everything to her. The same principle exists with um, God giving us our days. Like he's given all days. All days are his, right? But he says this one day, the Sabbath day, is the day that you show up to show and prove that you really believe that I gave you all seven. It's the same principle here. We show, the way we give 10% shows and proves that we believe God owns it all. Last, last slide here, third one here. Tithing fuels God's mission and ministry and kills the covetousness. We know the last of the Ten, uh, ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet. Jesus in Luke 12, 15 rebuked covetousness, and he says, Beware and be on guard against every form of covetousness or greed. When we want things and fear the loss of things too much, that becomes very dangerous for us. I think that the fear, I really believe that the fear of losing material things, the fear of loss, is, is, the, is the pathway to 
to greed and covetousness. When we can't let go of things. If we think we lose that one thing, we cannot go on. Tithing is one of the ways that we reveal that. Now, under the new covenant, tithing still supports the mission of God through the ministry. It takes money to do ministry. It's the reality, right? Paul wrote uh, to the church in Philippi. They had been very faithful in their tithes and contribution. Look at the letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, their tithes, their offerings supported the ministry and the advancement of the gospel. Paul says, it's not for my sake. It's to increase your fruit to your credit. When you tithe to the church, it is increasing fruit to your credit and investing in the kingdom. How you spend your money today echoes in eternity. What you spend the dollars on now is investing in long-term, eternal things. See, we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For the judgment seat of Christ... For the believer, is how we've stewarded the salvation and all the things God has given us, what we've done. We will have to stand before him and he's going to say, how did you use money? And for the tither, the faithful, they are increasing fruit to their credit. God says, you will be faithful, man. You've increased much, much fruit. Every single time that you tithe, fruit to your credit is being gained. Fruit. Not for, the, not for the giver, not, or not for the gift that Paul said, but for your own benefit. If Paul wrote a letter today to the church at Life Point Stewart's Creek, thanking this church for their tithes and contributions, and he addressed it to every single person that was a part of the mission, would your name be on it? Would your name be on that letter as someone who's thanking for the advancement of the gospel? That's something we must ask ourselves today. I pray we're a church that Paul would send a letter to and thanking us for our faithful giving. Before we close up this morning, let me uh, point your attention to a video and then we'll close in just a moment. John Diamond. I'm a sales professional and my family and I have been LifePoint members for the last four years and we attend the Stewart's Creek campus. I grew up in a Christian home where my parents taught me to tithe from a very early age. I was one of multiple children and whether we earned a dollar or a couple dollars, our parents taught us to tithe. Uh, one-tenth of what we earned and give that back to the to the church to our local church um, that was an interesting time I, I learned obviously as a child would learn to what obedience is you know you learn as a child to be obedient to your parents 
you learn to be obedient to our Heavenly Father at the same way. And uh, so as I grew up in a Christian home and then moved into school, high school, college, the, the, the same obedience continued. I continued to give faithfully in a tithe. As I went through college, obviously I didn't work full time. I was a full time student. So the, the time that I earned money through a summer job or what have you, I still was faithful in, in tithing. It was when I got into my first full-time job in a sales job where, you know, I really had a, a little bit of a change. I was still going to church faithfully, but it was that first commission check that I got. You know, I hear I was making a living, earning, doing my job, and then I got a commission check for the first time. And, and Satan was just there tempting me, do something else with that money. You don't need to give that. You give regularly, take that and do something else with it. And I'll tell you, it, it, it took some time to pray through and really understand that I needed to be faithful in my giving to the Father. When Kim and I got married, my wife Kim and I were both working, and so we tied faithfully to our church, our local church. We were attending a small church here in town, and tithing was something that was standard. It was, a, it was an obedience that we had both learned growing up, and so we were faithful. But we tithed on our net income. So what we had received in our check, you know, after the taxes and everything were taken out. And um, I ended up starting to serve on our church board. And while serving on the board, I learned a few things. You know, I got to see the financial struggles that went on within a church where you could just see it. it the tithe dollars are what is necessary. And so I began to think, why, why are we struggling? Because I tithe and my wife, you know, we both tithe and I see other people that I know who tithe but we were only tithing on our net. So truly, we were actually being disobedient um, in terms of the giving. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about giving your first fruits. And what that really means is giving from your gross income. And so Kim and I prayed, we sat down and prayed about what would that look like if we tithed on our gross? And so we made a decision after prayer that we were convicted and we were gonna give faithfully to our gross income. And what happened basically in our life is that we were blessed tremendously. God continued to bless our lives. Like nothing ever happened, like nothing changed. And yet um, he opened up more doors for us to even give more and be more mm -hmm. generous. And I think that's truly the way God works. God is a generous God with us. He gave us opportunities, healthy lives to work. And I think what he expects back from us is that obedience to give faithfully of what he has given to us in the first place. So I want to encourage you, even when Satan is tempting you to do something else with the money that you may think you earn, I want you to pray about tithing and how important it is and what that means in obedience to God. Uh, we could have probably used several individuals who faithfully tithe and give to the church. And um, man, thank you for your your generosity and your faithfulness in doing those things. Uh, today, let me, um, let me just begin to uh, close out of here today. And listen, if you have a, a, a conviction that you're wrestling with, um, conviction is a gift from the Lord. It's where it must begin. Can we just be honest maybe this week and admit things like, God, I've put more value in money than you. I've trusted you. I've trusted money more than you. I found more pleasure and happiness in money than you. 
I'm all jammed up with debt. Driving a car I shouldn't be driving, a house I shouldn't be living in. I mismanage my money. I've got no budget. I live paycheck to paycheck. Can we just be honest this week and lay those things out? And what's always found for people that have conviction that leads to repentance and obedience, what always is met is the grace of God and forgiveness. Like he's not going to be like, man, what took you so long? No, he embraces you as a father. So just start being honest this week about where you might be in that situation. We want to help you do that. Some of you have a deep desire to want to begin to walk in the obedience. We want to help you do that. We have budgeting classes. We have uh, financial counseling. Uh, We have ways that we can help you do that. Um, And then practically, some of you just need to start doing that today and not wait any more time. You can do that through giving weekly here at the church in an envelope in the seat back pockets. You can give online, automatic each week. Uh, you can do it on your app. There's a lot of ways that you can do that. If you have questions about those things, please come talk to us after. Or if you feel more uh, safe in contacting us this week and calling the office and doing it that way, that's fine too. right? You don't have to publicly come out and, and do this. Uh, but we want to help you walk in obedience. But let me pray, and we will set up our response time today. Father, we love you. God, would you move people in this place? And uh, would you... Be the Holy Spirit that works in us, that shapes us into the image of your Son. Father, would you show people that there's a greater value in letting go of money and finding a greater treasure in you. Father, let us use the money for your kingdom and not our comfort. And always reminding us that the things that you command in Scripture are always for our own good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.